0: Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. Great to have you with us today. We're going to have a conversation with Kailash Dirizwami, and we're going to talk about technology and how that technology can impact your ministry or your mission. But first, we're back in Holy Week, the most sacred time for the church throughout the year. If you allow yourself time to pray this week and be touched by the services that we will celebrate during the upcoming Triduum, then you can't help but be transformed by it. As you know, I do a daily reflection for the gospel on Kristen's Cross's YouTube channel, and I was reviewing the gospel for Holy Thursday. And it's the story about Jesus revealing himself at the start of his ministry in his hometown. And so I'm just going to read an excerpt from Luke's gospel from Holy Thursday. And it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. What a moment that must have been for Jesus and the townspeople that he grew up with. And to have him make such a statement like that after so many years, he was just a man in their eyes. He was that local boy who was the son of a carpenter. And as curious as it seems, you know, in our life, our openness to a message often depends quite heavily on how open we are to its messenger. Have you ever rejected somebody's advice and then turned around and taken the exact same advice from somebody else just because it came from a different person? Or maybe you disregarded a message that God was trying to tell you just because it came from a person that you might not otherwise have chosen to listen to, or maybe you couldn't even imagine that God was using this person to send you a message. This is a very common and simple error that we all make, and it was the error that the people of Jesus' hometown made. And so, I invite you this week to ask yourself the question, what has Christ been trying to tell me recently, and through whom? And am I ready to listen to him and allow him to use whatever messenger he may choose? You know, in our work in the church, sometimes people get jaded, and they get bogged down in the day-to-day business activities of the church. We become numb, or we forget to listen to the message. I've seen it happen to many people. And so I invite you this week, especially if you work for the church, to take a fresh look at the scriptures, to look upon the sacrifice of the master in this upcoming triduum with a new eye, a new appreciation, and hopefully with open ears and an open heart to hear what God is trying to communicate to you. Find some time in prayer. You don't need to speak. Just listen for God's word in your life. But for now, let's get to work. Today my guest is Kailash Duraswamy, a technology entrepreneur and the founder of Pantenex. And we have a conversation around technology and uses of it in the church, and I learned a lot from this conversation, and I hope you will too. And so, without further ado, here's Kailash. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome back to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. We're here today to talk about technology and, uh, and the ways that it impacts the church and We've uh, invited a special guest expert, Kailash, with us uh, today, and uh, we're just so pleased and grateful for you to be with us. Thanks for being with us today, Kailash. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to go ahead and offer a quick introduction, and then we'll go ahead and get into the conversation. Kailash is a technology entrepreneur, most recently in the artificial intelligence space as the founder of Pantonex. Pantonex is an artificial intelligence platform that automates manual data entry for financial services companies through computer vision. Pantonex was acquired by financial services software provider, Orion Advisor Solution, in the spring of 2021. He's now a co-founder of FIDE, a technology startup providing software for consumers with Catholic values, starting with email. Sounds like a tremendous opportunity there. Well, thanks for being with us today. And I understand that one of the things that we have in common is that you are a fellow convert to the Catholic Church. How did you find your way to the Catholic faith?
1: That's definitely an interview in itself, but (laughs) the, the long story short is I lived in San Francisco and I lived in Silicon Valley and I had every kind of progressive lifestyle that someone in my generation has, if you can imagine. And I was shocked as many people were when president Trump won the t- 2016 presidential election and living in a city like that the day after was crazy. You know, it was I'm something bad. where the, the whole paradigm of that economic zone was completely destroyed in a day. And a lot of people became they had a visceral response, and we know that there was a lot of acrimony in the ensuing years of his presidency, but I grew up in a very small town in, in Florida, and I knew a lot of people who voted for him, and I grew up with pretty traditional values around me, mm-hmm. and it it started me on this journey where I would just interview people, and I had a blog where I would ask people why they voted for President Trump, and mm-hmm over time, it would always point to Judeo-Christian values. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about what Christianity was, but I was kind of at a dead end where I couldn't really gain more in the political lens. I had to start reading about morality and Christianity. And that journey from trying to just understand what is Christianity, you know? And Mm -hmm. that that simple question began a whole process of uncovering the truth and the facts and the reality of God's incarnation, and long story short, I became Catholic from that journey.
0: Did that conversion experience? Is that what prompted you to kind of delve into this new aspect of of this new business opportunity that you're exploring here? That you've launched, connecting your your business with your with your faith, with your new faith life, I should say.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I've I've started a lot of businesses uh, hmm. before I converted, and not so many after. But I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And Panthenics, the company that we just did before, that happened as kind of a fruit of the conversion experience I had. And then FIDE email, yes, it's absolutely about looking at the values that have been important to me and believing that this is important for other people in this world and providing mm-hmm. them technology where they can trust the vendor and they can trust who they're working with
0: mm-hmm. rather
1: than, unfortunately, for a lot of these platforms and, and Silicon Valley, you can't really trust what they stand for. And we try to go into why that matters. You can you can find out all of that on our website at www. Okay. Well,
0: why don't you tell us just a little bit more about that? How was your business response a response to the to your faith into this email? I'm I'm just curious about the technology behind it.
1: Sure. One way that we can look at it is an abstraction from what the email does itself, but but say it is important and valuable if catholics are able to support other catholics in business and the analogy that we draw is perhaps 120 years ago you might frequent a catholic baker because they're a catholic baker and mm-hmm. that may be value enough for someone to you know give them their business and right. today we already see in different different sectors of purchasing that maybe it's apparel where somebody is willing to spend a little bit more or do more research to buy apparel that has been made with labor practices that they trust. Or Mm -hmm. someone might be willing to buy a car because it's American, buy American. Or somebody might buy food because the packaging is environmentally friendly. So we see that people are willing to make these types of value judgments when they're buying things already. And we believe that with software, It's an intellectual product, right? We know that term IP. And what that means in practice is it's a decision of the people who work there, what the product does. Mm -hmm. And we believe that there are many consumers out there who want a Catholic option to frequent online, basically. So Mm -hmm. in a similar kind of analogy that you might go to a Catholic baker, that's what we're trying to present to you as an option online. And what it means to you in the concrete is whether it's spam or privacy or all these other important decisions that your ca- your software vendor would make we're going to make those choices in line with what you believe to be truth as well.
0: Catholic values. Excellent. Excellent. You know, years ago, when I worked for a diocese, we had what we called the Catholic Business Owners Alliance. And it was a similar thought process in that. And and I know there's different organizations like that in different dioceses around the country, but there is something about getting together with business people who share the same values and the same thought processes around the way they do business. And, and, and from a morality standpoint, and also just the way that, that, we approach our faith, and I applaud you for that, Kylas, because I just think it, it's so needed in today's society.
1: Yeah, it, that's exactly right. And I think the difference and unique part of the internet is it's very easy to choose to do who you choose to do business with on the internet as a consumer, yeah. whereas it, it might be very inconvenient for you to go to a specific store in a brick or mo- brick and mortar sense. Right. It's quite simple to switch your email. And that's why people have found success in our platform, because it's really easy to get started. And it's not that much friction to make this choice when it comes to internet products.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things I wanted to talk with you about today is is, uh, is Bitcoin and just kind of cryptocurrency. And I've, I've been doing a lot of exploration, kind of educating myself in the space. And it, it's the kind of thing that I work in the nonprofit sector, obviously. And we're just beginning to see nonprofits around the country begin to accept Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as far as donations. But I wonder what your thoughts are. You know, in, in some entrepreneurs like Michael Saylor and some others have actually put Bitcoin on their balance sheets and as a way of adding value. I, I just wonder what your what are your thoughts on how, how can the church kind of embrace this new technology? What, what are your thoughts on on crypto?
1: That's interesting. I think in general, I think that it's It's a very interesting theory, which is we have this this concept of gold, basically, which is a finite precious metal, and we've brought it through some type of analogy to the digital world. So Mm -hmm. the blockchain kind of imitates this artifact of gold that it is limited. So you have this limited amount of hashes that you can mine out, Mm -hmm. and then you you can imitate these properties of gold in a digital form. I find that to be really fascinating. I think mm-hmm. that it makes sense as you move if you if you really think about it as a consumer, I think some people say, "Oh, well, I feel uncomfortable with a purely digital type currency." But the reality is our currency already is not backed by gold. So it is it's a virtual currency in the United States anyways. Mm-hmm. And a commodity-based currency is better because you can control against things like inflation And the government doesn't have as much power, it doesn't have any power to inflate its way out of certain issues. So I think from the economic sense, it it does make sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that it works for the digital world. It works in a world that's going to be digital first. Mm -hmm. As far as the church goes, I think that, you know, the church probably has all kinds of teachings on different economic systems. And we know the ones that it doesn't support, like socialism and communism that are explicitly atheists. -hmm. But for this, I think that the church should hopefully find implement portals that allows it to accept Bitcoin. But I think that the dust is far from being settled on this, and I think that there's going to have to be a lot that changes with blockchain and Bitcoin specifically. That's going to make it truly a medium of exchange. The price is so volatile. Like there's a lot that needs to change. But I think the thesis that an asset-backed currency is better than a fiat-based currency is, is without question true.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on, you know, there, there are some who feel that betting on, you know, like you said, Bitcoin is the new digital gold. And that and some have said that it's the perfect asymmetrical bet of our lifetime. That, you know, when you like look at Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin over the last couple of years, it's only gone in one direction. Yes, it's been extremely volatile. But, in some, you know, when we look at the volatility of an asset, it's not necessarily the top that we pay attention to but we're at bottoms on a consistent basis and you know during the last three to six months it seems to be bottoming out right around between 35 and forty thousand dollars which is a far cry from where it was two years ago so many feel that it's kind of that perfect asymmetrical bet that eventually it's like you say the scarcity of it drives the price and that ultimately once we get we, we there is wide scale adoption which seems inevitable when you have countries like El Salvador and other places that are continuing to acquire large sums. Uh, The, uh, like I said, folks like Michael Saylor have put an enormous amount, you know, on the, on the bottom line in their balance sheet. What are your thoughts on, on it kind of being, you know, that, that asymmetrical bet? because many, many dioceses around the country, Catholic organizations have Catholic foundations where they house their assets. And some are saying that, you know, at this point in history, Having you know 10% of your assets in Bitcoin or some percentage of your assets in digital in digital currency makes a lot of sense. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So just to preface, I'm not giving financial advice, even though I of do course. work in the financial sector.
0: <laughs> We're not giving financial advice in this podcast. Absolutely. I don't want to get shut down. <laughs> um, sorry, go but, ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think that some, some back of the envelope ca- uh calculations will say something like, you know, if. All of the households in the top five percent of wealth bracket or top eight percent of wealth bracket allocated just one or two percent of their net worth into something like Bitcoin. The price would be vastly higher than it is already. Sure. And I think that you can you can look at those and make your heuristic judgments. And I think that, for example, if you're if you're um, overseeing a Catholic endowment, I think one of the things that's very interesting about bl- blockchain or Bitcoin is you know, there isn't really a morality question because it's simply just a commodity. So a lot of these businesses, you're gonna have a morality question basically in each and every one of these, which is frustrating. I think that with blockchain, it's good because you don't have these things and it's abstracted away. But one thing that I point out is in the end, it's a commodity, right? And over the long, long, long time horizon, the commodity value paces with inflation basically. So it's kind of a question that I I believe in when you're talking about investing, you want return on equity that you can find through ownership in stocks that have the highest return in equity as, as possible. And I think if you see a switch where more and more businesses and more and more of these financial institutions are actually capable of accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment, then the pressure to sell and convert it or transfer it into another business who sells and then uses it for another purpose, that puts downward pressure to sell it. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know where that actually ends up in terms Mm -hmm. of the value as it goes over time. So it is a commodity. And Mm -hmm. I think commodity over time is meant really to just meet inflation, or let's say it meets GDP growth. Whereas if you look at something like equity, Return on equity can exceed something like GDP growth and that growth rate is higher over the longest period of time. Like if yes. you look at it over the last 7 years, obviously it's an insane return, but mm-hmm. you can't go back there, right? And right. the question is from this starting point over the next 30 years, would it actually be better than owning 30 years of a great business or 30 years of the S&P 500? I think it's actually a harder question to answer than people realize because Mm -hmm. when you actually start using it as a medium of exchange, that's what will put downward pressure because right Mm -hmm. now they do this hodl, right? Hold on for dear life. They hold it and they're not, no one is selling it because there's Mm -hmm. no purpose in selling it. Everyone thinks it'll be worth more in the future. It's not used for any other purpose. So Mm -hmm. if it actually becomes a medium of exchange, that is what will put the downward pressure and then there's no telling where you are actually caught as a as an investor in it at that point.
0: Right, right. That's that's a good point. Very good point. I believe there was some concern you, you see in the media over whether or not it can be used for, you know, the under, for lack of a better way of putting it, the underworld purposes, that it's not trackable. But uh, my understanding is that it is that it is they've they perfected that part of the technology. And it's actually very trackable. And they've actually apprehended a number of guys. Uh, who have tried to launder money using bitcoin and 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 do dubious transactions? Is, is that your understanding as well?
1: My so when it comes to understanding the actual elements of the blockchain, I know mm. a lot more about Ethereum because mm. that's something oh. that I've worked in and looked into. But yeah, yeah, there's scanning technology where you can look at all the contracts. it's not it's not private, right? It's actually the opposite. Everything is public. You can mm. look at every single thing that's being done. And perhaps if you have some additional insight, yeah, you can tie individual wallets to individual behavior Mm -hmm. and you can look at everything everyone's doing. It's actually the wrong thing to do if you are a criminal, in my opinion, because you can't hide it. Cash, that's paper, you can hide. sure, But blockchain, it's the complete opposite. Everything is public. Nothing can be hidden.
0: Okay. Tell us, well, tell us a bit about your work with Ethereum because there's a number of, uh, you know, there, there was some discussion about Ethereum 2.0 coming out and then that kind of discussion kind of went away. Now you see a lot of, I think they call them layer twos like Polygon and some others that are supposed to help increase the speed. Where do you think Ethereum is going?
1: Yeah. So Ethereum is basically the same concept of a blockchain type database, but rather than just simply have an asset which is tied to it that you trade, This compute resource is used as tokens that so you can actually save data, create applications, and it has more of a technology use case. So as someone who's building technology, been very fortunate to start and sell a company, but I'm looking to do new new ideas, bigger ideas. I feel the Lord is calling me to that. So I'm looking at a cutting edge technology like Ethereum to see where there might be opportunities to develop a new business. Because Mm -hmm. when you're a technologist, you want to go early. Right. Mm-hmm. So Ethereum is even earlier than Bitcoin because it's it's a younger technology than Bitcoin. Sure. And you whether it's these layer 2s, the Ethereum 2.0 looks like it's going to happen. There's important changes that they need to make. Mm. But I look at it, it's it's basically an inversion of how computing has been over the last 30 years. And I think one thing that's interesting that's not it's not reflected on enough is both of these technologies did not come from the United States. So mm-hmm. most of the technology innovation that we've seen over the last 30 years, predominantly from our country, but these two blockchain, uh, Bitcoin, excuse me, came from Japan mm-hmm. and the Ethereum comes from a, a man from Russia. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting that these technologies have come from other sources. And I do think that the American mindset has, for developers, software founders we have to change a little bit to see what is actually possible and what is good to do on these pl- on these products and on these platforms. I-, I look at it like this. The winners of the last 30 years of software are going to be the losers and the losers of the last few decades of software are going to become the winners. Hmm. And basically, if the, uh, one example that I think is very telling are is content creators. I think if you were a content creator in the last 15 years, you lost. You hmm. lost on YouTube You lost in all these platforms because they were able to monetize your product for like nothing, basically, Mm -hmm. and you didn't make any money. Whereas if you look on blockchain, content creators are huge winners. So that's NFT, basically, is how it's being shown now. So these non-fungible tokens, the content creators have been huge winners. And I think we're going to see a lot of inversions on Ethereum like this. You look at who have been the losers of the last 15 years in computing, and they're going to be the winners. I think consumers have been the losers too. Our privacy, our control of our own data, we've been the losers over the last yeah. decade and a half. And I think that's another thing that's going to change where we're going to suddenly become the winners on these new platforms.
0: Absolutely. Well, you just have to look at Facebook and some of these other situations where our, our information becomes public. Absolutely. Where do, where do you see, you mentioned uh, NFTs, where do you see? I've heard those referred to as is kind of almost a fad. But do you think NFTs are? I mean, I'm sure they're here to stay. But what is there going to be such a craze as there has been as we've seen, say, over the last three to six months? You know, you I think of the kid who came up with you know, 99 different whales and he sold them for like two million dollars. I mean, all these interesting stories that you hear on the media. But where do you where do you think NFTs are going?
1: Yeah, I think you look at some of those early stories and some of this artwork, and people say this is all nonsense. This is stupid yeah and it doesn't make sense to them i think the nft shows something very interesting because for ethereum for me it's actually the first implementation of the technology that has actually driven value for anyone hmm. so we may question whether it's too much value or if it's irrational but if you think about what an nft says that it is it is accomplished in art for sure you know sure. it's pointing to a digital asset which is unique and it's it's tracking that value. Another place you see the NFT being used is in real estate because it's similar, it's a fixed asset which cannot be changed to supply. Mm-hmm. And you can create a digital pointer basically to this real estate. It makes a lot of sense to me. I'm a, you mm-hmm. may be surprised, I'm a huge skeptic of new technology, believe it or mm-hmm. not. I'm someone that I find a lot of startups are pointless, a lot of ideas and they fail, right? So a lot of these startups are pointless and they fail. Right. But when I look at NFT, it really, it makes very much sense to me. And it's extremely coherent that this is, this is the way that you can identify in a digital sense, a single kind of asset that is valuable in and of itself. And it's valuable because the supply is so low is the supply is finite and it's one, it's three, it's five. It's not a lot of value in it. Mm -hmm. And you already see companies like the NBA, the NFL already trying to monetize their content through NFTs. And I think that, I don't think that's going to be the end at all. You know, if you think about content creators on NFT, it's, it's a slam dunk. So there's all, again, all of this content that they have not really been able to monetize well on in the last 15 years, all of that valuable stuff is going to, it's going to see its day, I think through NFT and real estate, it's just beginning. I mean, this stuff is just beginning, but yes, I, I do think that NFT and some of these iterations on top of Ethereum are pointing to how we can find value in this new technology.
0: And you you mentioned digital real estate. Is that, and I've heard some people have already been early investors in in digital real estate. What What are your thoughts on that?
1: I actually meant real estate.
0: Real, oh, real estate, real estate, real estate. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, not okay. not uh, the virtual real estate. Well, they're so, not making
0: land anymore. That's true.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think there is an interesting parallel to points and NFT to true real estate. And you say yes. this is like the digital marker of this truly finite resource. Virtual real estate, yeah, that I think is a little less interesting because sure. virtual space is unlimited. And I'm not sure what does it really mean for some kind of overarching overlord to say that it is finite when it's really not that's a little bit harder for me to to be interested in sure but yeah i do think that you know we see all this stuff with the metaverse and they're trying to create a a new world basically Mm. not sure i'm not putting my money in virtual real estate
0: i think it's way too early to see how that's all going to play out i agree yeah i agree what are your thoughts and and all of these new some of these new technologies i know that's that's kind of what you're in the middle of now In your your new business pursuits as an entrepreneur, which I I just think is is awesome. Where does this all head for the church? What what do you think, where does the church need to grow to stay on top of the digital age and the way that we see technologies continuing to evolve it, you know, for the average pastor or the average parish business manager, even, you know, diocesan folks, like uh, how do we stay on top of it and where do you you think it might be, be headed in the near future?
1: So I've re- recently written a piece about this. It's yet to oh. be published, but I can I can share it with you. You can share it with your audience when it's ready. Be great, yeah. And it's about thinking about these frontiers of technology and, and church teaching. And great. you may be surprised to realize, but in 2002, our church published a document called The Church and Internet. Mm. And in it, it goes through a variety of different important parts of the internet and how members of the church and priests and clergy and everyone has a role to fulfill and an important obligation to engage in this technology. I would say for the last 20 years since that publication, I don't think we can say that Catholics have been ambitious or at the forefront and trying to be producers of technology. I think mostly we've been reluctant consumers of technology. And it's it's unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate. And I think that the truth is, there's a lot to gain from all of us being present online. And I think, yes, there are risks. And yes, there are, you know, people who build things that don't agree with us. I, I agree. And I understand that it's not a perfect world. But yes, I do think that everyone should read that document, the church and internet, and particularly people who work in the church. And I think we should all not be afraid, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to be present. I think Groups like Catholic Answers or others, some of these large media platforms are doing a great job, even what you're doing here on this podcast, doing a great job to bring the message of Christianity or, you know, other messages with the Christian lens. I think sure. it's great.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I've always had a, a, a you know over the last thirty or so years I've always had a, a love for technology and just a personal interest in trying to stay ahead of it or, or at least be stay on top of it. I when I was a youth minister worked in a parish. I remember launching our first parish website and our pastor was like, "Well, who's going to visit this thing and how do we turn it off if it doesn't work?" And you know, it's just all these interesting you know and same thing when um, you know with with all these podcasts and the rest of it it's just it's a lot of fun and it's always been a, a fun hobby for me and to, to share my my faith through it is, is a blessing how can we how can we find you on online where can our listeners uh, find out more information about uh, some of the, the email and some of the new business pursuits that you're coming out with i'll, I'll definitely put links in in the bio uh, of the show notes of this episode
1: yeah definitely the best thing to do would be to go to www.fide.email. Uh And you can sign up for our newsletter and you can get a good idea, of both me and my co-founder. That's going to be the more consumer-facing technology. A lot of the other stuff that I've done in my career and probably would do, whether it's Ethereum or some of these other things, it's going to be more of a core technology that's going to face developers themselves or businesses. But the best way to to understand what I'm doing in terms of the consumer stuff is, is going to our site.
0: We'll do that. Well, Kailash, thank you so much for being on our show today. This has been a a great conversation for me, and and I appreciate all that you're doing. And we'll make sure, again, we'll put links to the show notes to to the documents that we referenced today. So thank you again. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. God bless. I want to thank Kailash for being on our show this week and for sharing your insights on technology. For more information about Kailash and his company, please check out our show notes or visit this episode's homepage on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Potastery Studios for another great show, and if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. And for more information about our show and where to find us, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, once again, I hope you all have a blessed Holy Week and a wonderful Easter season. I'll see you in two weeks. Take care, and God bless.